0: Good to see everyone here. You know, we're at the last chapter of Genesis, and we um, spent uh, many weeks going through this wonderful book. Um, As we come to an end, it's always, I walk away um, reflecting on our time and uh, just the amount that I personally learned and how God has allowed us to go through this. Uh, Just a side note on this, you know, we, we saw the history of God's people. We saw the covenant that was started and how it continued, and how we are part of that covenant. We are now the people of God. We are God's chosen ones. We are the church. And so there is a sense of awe. There's a sense of humility as you think about that, that this story is continuing, and God is continuing to do his work. And so the lessons that are taught here, we bring to us here today. The God who is here is the same God that we pray to and seek out today. And so you are a part of that. Somehow you being part of the church is being part of God's covenant people. And so we are uh, excited and humbled at that thought. And I hope that you would be as well. You know, today we go to a section where it is the closing part. And oftentimes people have said that it's in hindsight, you have some 2020 perspective. As time has gone by, you look back in life and you see what, what you learned, what the purpose were, was, and so on. Many times when we go through hardships especially, and when we go through life, um, we do not see in clarity, and we do not understand. And even those who call on God as Christians often question God when hard times come. God, are you there? God, are you in control? God, do you love me? God, why? Could, why is this happening to me. God, this is not fair. And those same complaints are filled all throughout the books of the the Psalms, uh, the chapters in the Psalms, and it is the same for us here. And we come to the end of Joseph's life, and he has some clarity as well. And I I share with you, you know, the hardships that I've been through, when I look back on my childhood and the things that I had to endure, um, I look back and I see now some purpose in that. I see how God worked in the midst of that. I see that if I didn't go through some of those things, I wouldn't be where I am today. But it oftentimes takes decades. And you know, this is uh, a a situation here uh, where Joseph is at the latter part of his life. And we're going to be looking at why we could trust God even in our hardships and how God is sovereign in this way. Um, Just a little background. Jacob had passed away now. You know, in the previous chapters, he blessed, uh, speaks his, gives his blessing to the twelve sons, and which will be the tribes, and he now passes away, and now Joseph, his older brothers, they are now elderly, they are older, um, and what happens here is interesting because the brothers are still afraid that Joseph might do something to them in retribution. You remember, they were the ones plotting to kill him. They were the ones that sold him off as a slave. And Joseph suffered tremendously in all his, especially the younger part of his adulthood, as he was imprisoned falsely and suffered injustice, lived in a foreign land away from his beloved uh, kin and family and everyone back at home. And so when the dad had died, the brothers think, oh man, Joseph might get us back. He might kill us or he might uh, imprison us and they're afraid because up till then Joseph had been providing but they think maybe it's because dad was around but dad is no longer around and what if he now decides to pay us back and they are living in fear so they approach Joseph and they say hey um, this is what dad said and they come to him afraid of retribution. We see in the passage we read, verse 15, I'll read for us again. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the Servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. So they are desperate. They invoke their own father's memory. Dad said this. They invoke their own God. May God allow you to do this. Not knowing Joseph's heart has changed. You see, Joseph knew what they did was evil. And yet he had a greater faith in God. And in this, you see those words. Evil and good. They did evil, God did good, but it was the same events. And he responds by telling them in verse 19, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so this is this passage that is often used to talk about the sovereignty of God. The predestination that we talk about often, that we question. That we in our feeble minds try to understand, if is God really in control? And scholars along the way, those who have gone liberal, have tried to explain this by trying to put God in a box. Oh, well, God is far away and God started the world. He's like a a cosmic watchmaker that started the watch but he doesn't keep it. It's just going and the world goes and he has no control. He is not involved and people have tried to explain it this way but the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that God is completely sovereign Um, and today we look at that. We're going to be looking at how God is completely sovereign. Uh, He is also wise and he is also good. And this will help us. Number one, God is sovereign, right? He is in control. This is the idea that God controls everything. There is not one, as uh, R.C. Sproul used to say, not one maverick molecule in this planet. Not one molecule that's out of place that God doesn't know. God is completely sovereign. He knows. He is all-powerful. He is in control. You look at verse 18 and if we don't pause, you could skip over this verse easily. It says, his brothers also came to him, fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. So there is significance in this. The brothers come and they fall down before him. And this was part of the dream. These were the, this was the message of the two dreams that Joseph had way back in his teen days. Back in chapter 37. The two dreams that he had in verse 7. Through nine and chapter thirty-seven of Genesis, it tells us this: that the one dream was they were binding sheaves in uh, in the land, and the sheaves were a collection that uh, they would collect. Now all love, um, uh, you know, the, the the you know just all the gatherings that they had in the land. And he says his was bigger, and he says all of the brothers were bowing down. And the second dream that he had, he says the moon, the sun. And 11 stars are bowing to him. And so they uh, rebuke him. They say, oh, who do you think you are? You, you're saying, you know, mom and dad, the moon and the sun, and the other 11 stars are us. We're going to bow to you, Joseph. Joseph, you are the youngest. Who do you think you are? And this now led to them turning against him. But this, these were the dreams that Joseph had. This was what was to come. And somehow, through all of these events... God's will was done. God made sure that what he had said was going to come true. You look at the circumstances of his life, of Joseph's life, and you think, there was no way. He was sent off to a different land. He was away from the covenant people of God. He was now falsely imprisoned. He didn't have power. He didn't have his parents around him. He didn't have his siblings. They couldn't bow to him. He was in Egypt. And he suffered so much that he was imprisoned falsely. He was forgotten about. And yet God, because he is sovereign, through all of these unlikely circumstances, brings about what he had said would come true that Joseph would stand and they would bow before him. And we see it at the end of Genesis now that they are bowing to him, begging for mercy. And Joseph is raised up in this way. And he says here in this verse that we love, verse 20 of our text, as he's speaking to his brothers, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So there's one event that happens and yet there are two uh, motives behind it. One was evil, one was good. And so the question comes up, well, is God in control? Did God make this happen? Did God allow this to happen? Or did the brothers do this? And the answer is yes. Theologians will use the word concurrence. Concurrence, uh, the idea of One occurrence, but two things happening at the same event. A concurrence. Concurrence is described by R.C. Sproul in this way, that two or more parties can act in the same event and produce a given outcome without all the parties having the same intent. So this is happening. One event is happening. Two parties are somehow involved. They allow it to happen. And yet their intent... Intention is very different. Uh, Let me explain it this way. If on a human term and in human terms, uh, imagine a young couple that has a child who's going to go off to kindergarten. There's some of you, right? And some of us remember that. And you're sending a little junior to kindergarten and you're praying as they go off into the real world into kindergarten that they would make good friends. They would have a good teacher, and they would have a pleasant year in kindergarten, learning their ABCs and 1, two, threes, and so on. And you send them off. Now imagine, and this happens very frequently, the junior comes back and says, I had a terrible day. There's a bad guy, an evil guy in my class, another classmate, and he keeps making fun of me. And he's crying. Now, there was an evil kid, Right? But the parents' temptation might be to say, well, we're going to pull you out of this school, right? Because it is filled with evil kids. We're going to pull you out. We're going to actually move cities because the whole city has evil kindergartners everywhere. We're going to move to somewhere else. We're going to move to a different neighborhood because maybe their kindergartners are nicer. And we tend to often now generalize people and areas and, oh, they're so bad in this. But really, the wise parent would sit down with that child and say, no, junior... You're going to take Taekwondo classes starting this week, all right? You're going to learn to speak up for yourself. Uh, you're going to tell them no. You're going to just ignore people like this. Why? Because we want to teach junior. I want to teach junior to grow up because there are bad people in elementary, in junior high, in high school, in college, in the workplace. They're going to deal with them. And can they run away forever? No. So in the, pic- in the grand picture of things... There's an evil kid making fun of Junior, making him cry. But at the same time, mom and dad is still dropping Junior off at the same school, knowing that this is happening, because they say, I want you to grow in your character. I want you to learn to deal with difficult people. This is a great life lesson. And so we struggle with something like that. But that's maybe a human example of what we see here. The brothers meant it for evil. There is no sugarcoating. What's evil is evil, as the Bible describes. But on the other side of it, God meant it for good. God allows these things to happen because he is in control. And so the concurrence of God and evil man is happening, even in our lives today. What is the hardships you've been through? How have you suffered injustice? How have you, what have you cried over and lost sleep over? And somehow God is allowing that to happen. What are the prayers that you have said to God? God, make this pass. God, can you take this away? God, are you really there? And maybe you have cried out in that way, thinking, God, are you there? But yet he is, because he is sovereign. A couple of verses. There are so many, but a couple I want to just highlight for us. Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, "Oh Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. God is sovereign. Nothing is too hard for you. Can we say that out loud, that last part? Can we say that out loud? Nothing is too hard for you. One, two, three. Nothing is too hard for you. And maybe that could be our prayer regularly. Before we say Foolish words without thinking, maybe we should start, dear God, nothing is too hard for you. Lord God, would you help me to believe and trust that, God, nothing is too hard for you. The psalmist says in Psalm 105, describing Joseph and all of these things, God had already, in his sovereignty, this was already done. Uh, Verse 16 When he summoned the famine on the land and broke all supply of bread. This is God making this happen. Verse 17, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in collar of iron until until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him until what he had said came to pass. God said there will be a famine. God said there will be a slave that will be sold, that will become now the person he uses. And so God is sovereign in this way, and so that gives us some peace. Secondly is that God is wise. It is comforting to know that the one that we listen to is wise. When we go to a doctor's office or a dentist's office, You like to know a little bit about where they got their degrees and how they were certified and so on. And you see now the plaques. And those things give us a little bit of comfort knowing, okay, well, they went to an institution and they were educated in this field. They are an expert. And so, okay, now I will uh, comply with what you want to do because you are wise. Now, we come before God and it is comforting to know. That he is wiser. He is all wise. He is wiser than me and than everything. And oh, how we have to be reminded of that. Oftentimes, you want to go to God and negotiate. Oftentimes, you want to go to God and say, God, actually, that's not the right way. God, this is taking way too long. We should go about and do it this way. God, you should say yes, like right now. Why are you telling me to wait? And we often approach God, even from our youth all the way to all through our adulthood, and we go to God forgetting that he is wise. This verse again, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God had some kind of meaning this. God had some kind of purpose. God had a plan. He designed all of these things. First John three twenty. For whenever our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Can we repeat that last? Those last three words. One, two, three. He knows everything. And in our prayers, maybe we can approach God, saying, "God, the One who knows everything." Doesn't that all of a sudden change now the rest of your prayer? Who am I to report to you? Who am I to dictate to you what must happen? Who am I to say, oh, God, do this and do that? God, you know everything. The psalmist says in Psalm 147, 5, Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Speaking of the greatness of God, the abundance of his power, it is described by his understanding. He knows. God knows better. I don't know if you have someone you trust in, someone you listen to. Today we live in a day where we are inundated with information. Literally in the last 10 years, 20 years, the world has changed. Back in the days when some of us were growing up, our parents would spend a small fortune and buy us the whole set of encyclopedia for an exorbitant amount, and some of you had that. And uh, it would now sit usually in a prominent place. I would go to my friends' homes, and it would sit somewhere very prominent that everyone could see. Mom and dad spent all of their retirement on this encyclopedia set, which Junior had never touched. Why do we buy those things? Well, because information was expensive, and now information is free. You can Google things and chat GPT, all right? Not for your finals, but just to use, right? Uh, information is readily available, but wisdom is even more scarce today. Information is fact-checking someone, looking it up. No, this is how old Michael Jordan was. He actually averaged whatever points. You could fact-check it and no trivial things. But to have true wisdom is having someone who's been there and who knows better. And I hope and pray that you might have people in your life who speak into you. Who speak wisdom to you. Not just information. But who will speak into you. And This is the value of the local church. Because we get to sit in pews or in rows and we get to hear. But also we get to sit in circles and share meals laugh together, cry together, do life together. Um, And this is the value of it. You have people who are younger and older and peers, and we can talk to each other, and we are continually sharing wisdom through God uh, as God shares through us to one another. 1 Corinthians 1.25, speaking of the gospel, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Even when the Bible was being written, people thought, this doesn't make sense. God, your plans don't make sense. The gospel doesn't make sense. Why does Jesus have to die? Why is there weakness? What is that about? But yet wisdom is who God is. God knows better. And so as He is leading you in life, and as you are... Tempted to not trust him because maybe he doesn't know. Let me encourage you, he knows. Have You ever been in in an Uber where you feel like the driver does not know what they are doing, right? Um, Where they are going. I've had interesting rides. I've had discussions. I remember being dropped off at New Jersey, arriving around 11 o'clock, taking an Uber to the hotel that I could see right over there, and I see him making a U-turn. And we get in a yell- yelling match, because I'm telling him how to drive. He doesn't want me to tell him how to drive. And all of a sudden, the hotel that was five minutes away, he makes a U-turn. And it says, now, the estimated time of arrival was an hour. And so I said, I think you don't know where you're going. And he says, get, off my, get out of my car on the highway. I said, I'm not leaving your car till you take me there. Uh, and for, say goodbye to your tip and we were going at it and uh, he finally dropped me off. To know that someone who is in charge to my destination is wiser than me is comforting. God knows better than us. He knows where we're going, how we're going to get there so we can ride in comfort. We could take a nap in a car and I, my wife, you know, Sharon, loves to sleep when I drive. Um, and I always say to her and others, I say, oh, it, it's the biggest compliment when someone could sleep when you're driving. could just saying, I trust you with my life. Like, you know, I'm going to go to sleep. And that's a positive way to take it, take it, right? You could take it a negative way. You're boring, you know, sleep is better. Um, you know, you stay awake. I'm going to enjoy myself. But in a positive way, that person trusts me. Because the person that doesn't trust me will stay wide awake and say, hey, hey, turn left here. What are you doing? Turn right here. What are you doing? Uh, thirdly, God is not only wise, but he is good. God is good. It is one thing to have someone who is wise, but if they are not good in nature, uh, they could take advantage of us, they could lead us astray. But God is good. The brothers were evil towards him, but God meant it for good. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. The Lord is good. Can we repeat that first phrase? The Lord is good together out loud. One, two, three. The Lord is good. And maybe we ought to start every day making that confession. Maybe we ought to open up every prayer, the Lord is good. Maybe at the end of every day, at, as you think back on the events of the day, as you, before you go to sleep, maybe you ought to repeat to yourself, preach to yourself, the Lord is good. He's good to me. The psalmist says something very similar, 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Somehow God is good. We don't understand, but we trust and we have faith because God is good. Uh, Nicholas Walterstorff, a uh, theologian at Yale now, um, had written a book years back called Lament of a Son. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read. Um, he writes... Uh, some of his thoughts after the reflection, uh, of his reflections, uh, his son, Eric, had died in his mid-twenties, and uh, uh, it is one thing to bury a parent, but it's a whole other thing to bury a child, and uh, he has to go all the way um, to take a flight and go, go fly, you know, uh, pick up his son who had died of a mountain biking accident in his mid-twenties, and in it he writes uh, many profound things. Um, And I basically uh, highlighted the whole book as I I was reading this uh, years back. One of the things he says, that Dr. Walter Storff says, he says, faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you are forced to walk out onto it. You don't know if it'll hold you up. You don't know if you're going to fall through. But it's a bridge just big enough to walk on. And when you're forced to walk on it, it'll hold you up. God is good. So, with that, Joseph closes, uh, wraps up uh, with a message to his brothers. And it's a message I want to share with us here. Verse 19, he says this phrase Do not fear. Verse 21, he says the same phrase So, do not fear. He could see the fear of his brothers. And he tells them, do not fear. Do not fear. The most repeated command in the Bible, do not fear. Do not fear. God is sovereign. He's in control. God is in control of your life. God is in control of his people. Since Genesis 1 until now, he is guiding us along. God is wiser than you. God knows everything. God knows the future, what tomorrow holds, what I need for my future. He somehow knows. He knows what the best is for our children. He knows what the best is for us. God knows. He is wise. Do not fear, thirdly, because God is good. God is good. He wants the best for us. The motives make a difference. And even in the most difficult of times, we can look and say, boy, it looked like evil on their end, but somehow God in the sovereignty says, no, I will make it good. I will bring something good out of, it, out of that tragedy. And so we take those words, do not fear to heart, and I want to encourage you with that today. Maybe you are in a storm and you cannot see what the purpose or what tomorrow holds. Let me encourage you to do not fear. Maybe you don't know what God has for you, but do not fear because his words will come true and he is there for us. So let's pray together, could we, as we think about that. Lord, we thank you. Uh, We take, Lord, these truths about you to heart. Lord, it is not the size of our faith, but it is the object of our faith that matters, and it is you, God, who is sovereign. It is you, God, who is good who is wise, you know better. So we will not fear, Lord. So God, we thank you for who you are in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.